0: Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for being here and listening to another episode of the You Love and You Learn podcast. This week's episode is an interview, and I loved getting to sit down with Ivy Miller, who is a certified mindset and relationship coach based in Brooklyn, New York. She helps women feel deeper connection, peace, and authenticity in their relationships, including their relationship with themselves. Ivy believes that a loving and mindful relationship with ourselves is the foundation for a happy and healthy relationship with everybody else. And that is one of the themes that we talk about in today's episode, which specifically focuses on when we are nitpicking or getting frustrated with our partner for small mistakes. And I know that I'm guilty of this, especially when I was experiencing the most anxiety in my relationship, it was very easy to kind of be looking at all of the mistakes that Nate was making. And in this conversation today, we talk about why that happens and what to do about it. So I'm really excited for you to dive in. Thanks so much for listening. And now let's get into the episode.
1: Hi, Ivy. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Hey, Sarah. It's a joy. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I connected with you because I saw some reels you were doing and I was like, wow, I really love what she's putting out there. And so many of them I knew would resonate with the people in my community. So that's why I was like, I have to have her on the podcast to dissect these.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me again. I'm so happy to be here. Good. Well, can you give us kind
0: of just a little bit of background on you? Like what led you to be so passionate about coaching people within their own relationship to themselves, but also their interpersonal relationships?
1: Absolutely. So the thing that led me to be really interested in relationship coaching was the fact that I was having a lot of relationship struggles myself in my own romantic life with my family, friends, you name it. And I had already trained as a life coach. I went to a general life coach training institute, got my certification, loved it. And I noticed that I kept attracting clients who wanted help in their relationships the same way that I was helping myself and growing in my own relationships. And I think the universe was really just guiding me in that direction in general. And, you know, I really learned that with my own relationship struggles, I read the communication books. I applied the life coaching knowledge. I did the relationship courses, the communication courses, and still I was having a lot of trouble with my interpersonal relationship, specifically my romantic relationship. And what I realized after lots of trial and error was that I was lacking and neglecting, focusing on my relationship with myself. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that there was this deep connection between my relationship with myself, and the quality of my relationships with everybody else in my life. Mm. And so once I started focusing on my relationship with myself, everything started changing, right? And all of a sudden, when I was more patient and loving and understanding towards myself, I had suddenly all of this patience with my romantic partner or with Mm. my parents or with my friends. And so that was when things started to click for me.
0: Yeah, the quality piece I think is really important because there's that phrase of if you don't love yourself, you can't love someone else. And I don't necessarily agree with that fully because I think we learn to love ourselves in the context of our relationships with others in many ways. But I love the the nuance there of like the quality of your relationship with others is going to come back to the quality of the relationship you have with yourself. And so quality is on a, a large spectrum, like you can always continue growing and evolving that relationship with yourself. And so then the quality of the relationship with others in your life can also improve too.
1: Absolutely. And I agree with that. I don't believe that we need to, you know, have the most perfect relationship with ourselves before we can even dare to be in a relationship with somebody else. Because all of these unhealed parts of ourselves, those happened in relationship with other people when we were kids or at whatever other part of our lives. And so healing gets to also happen in relationship.
0: Yes. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. So specifically the topic I want to go into today, it's funny that you mentioned like the perfect relationship with yourself because that kind of teed off nicely the topic I wanted to chat with you about. But a specific reel of yours that I really, really resonated with was this topic around getting frustrated with our partner of small mistakes that they're making or maybe small pieces of even like who they are as a person that really can get under our skin, and especially as women. And of course, we're only speaking from our experiences here as women. A lot of what we'll say applies to people in general, but... I think especially for women and a lot of women in my community, they can relate to being recovering perfectionists and needing everything to be just right in their relationship. So I think this topic is going to be so helpful. And to kick us off under this theme, I was hoping maybe you could share some examples you've seen either in your own work or in the context of things in your interpersonal relationships of these small mistakes, in quotes, that people are making that we can tend to knit
1: at. Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. There's a lot. They can look a lot of different ways, but some that I will see um, and do see regularly in my own life or in my clients' lives is being disorganized, being messy, leaving the towel on the floor, you know, mm-hmm. um, forgetting important details that we shared that were important to us. But then when we check in with them about it later, they totally forgot that we talked about that. So not being as detail-oriented or as intentional maybe those are Mm -hmm. definitely a few of the ways that they can show up for
0: sure for sure and I I'm looking um (laughs) at the closet that Nate and I share it's like kind of like a a built-in closet and has its closet doors and there is a towel just like strewn over the top of it and that was definitely a a small mistake that really I used to get laser vision on so I can absolutely relate and I will even add to that sometimes this can fizzle into just small qualities about this person, like at least for my audience, it's like, oh, their hair doesn't look good today. Or like, maybe like they don't smell as fresh as I would like them to in this moment. So it's not even just like their actions, but sometimes even like just them as a person in that moment. So I think, um, again, this topic is going to really resonate with a lot of people. And that's why I'm excited (laughs) to dive in more.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And what you were just saying, like, it's not always just the towel on the floor. Sometimes it's their way of being or parts of their personality or who they are. I know for me personally, my and there's always duality in relationships, there's always polarity. And with my, you know, most recent relationship, I found that, you know, there was a lot of carefreeness Mm. in this person's personality that initially is what had me attracted to them. And then after some time, I ended up finding it was a point of contention, like how carefree can you really be? I need you to care about X, Y, and Z.
0: Mm, Yeah, that's a really good point about how the things that we can be intrigued by in the beginning can then be points of contention later. So we kind of talked about on the side of someone who's being nitpicky, like what they're looking out for. But what have you seen with your work with clients is the potential consequences Of being the type of person that is always looking at the small mistakes, like if small mistakes are constantly being pointed out in the relationship, what are the potential consequences of that that maybe we aren't thinking about in that moment?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing I really want to highlight is we're not thinking about it in that moment. We never mm-hmm. intend these consequences. We don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I create disconnection between me yes. and my partner? You know. So really just like offering yourself compassion around these consequences that are kind of coming up. But the thing that I would say is it creates a lot of disconnection. It can create a little bit of a feeling of walking on eggshells for the other person. Mm. It can create or elicit a feeling of defensiveness in the other person, well, I never wanted that horrible feeling for you. I never wanted you to feel so frustrated and irritated and upset or sad or angry, right? And so they'll go towards defending their good intentions. And it can also elicit this feeling of just never being able to do enough or measure up mm. enough. You might hear somebody say to, you might get feedback from your partner of like, nothing I ever do is good enough. It's mm. never enough. Mm. You'll see that come up a lot too.
0: Mm, yeah, I've heard a lot of my clients say that and definitely in micro moments with Nate, he'll kind of stop me and be like, well, what do you actually need from me right now? Or, you know, like making it a little bit more like specific instead of my maybe anxious moment of being like, oh, well, this just isn't right in this exact moment and trying to kind of gain, I think, a little bit more control. And I think that is really a big part of it, of course, is that the reason this happens, and of course, I'd love you to elaborate more on this, is like maybe a sense of feeling out of control or feeling like if everything was just right, then I would feel safer. So is that kind of what you found can be one of the root causes of this tendency to nitpick?
1: Absolutely. Like the thing that comes to mind for me when I hear this is a lot of empathy for people who feel controlling. I am somebody who used to feel really controlling. And sometimes that urge still pops up for me. Right. And just taking a look at like, where does that come from? When in your life did you feel like you had to control every little detail in order to have a feeling of safety or a feeling of internal safety? So, yeah, a hundred percent in order to answer your question in a really long way. (laughs) Definitely. And I think, too, another thing you
0: mentioned in the real. Was this sense of maybe if you had felt criticized before growing up, or maybe you felt like you always needed to get approval from people or be good, do the right thing. Um, Maybe there was some sort of like family pressure or even just societal pressure that we all kind of experience. And so because you have felt that criticism or pressure in your life now, it's common to then feel like you need to put that on others around you.
1: That's exactly right. So what we cannot tolerate in others is what we cannot usually tolerate within ourselves, Mm. right? So when I can't tolerate your imperfections, it's usually a lot of the times because there's some sort of lack of tolerance of imperfection within myself.
0: Mm. And is that what you would say is kind of the definition of the word projection in this case, like we project what we can't handle internally then onto our partner?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In this specific case, that is how I would define projection. And the thing about our own inner voices, our own critical or harsh or mean internal self-talk is that it came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. right? And for some people, it's because like you mentioned, they grew up in a world where they only received negative feedback or they had a family member or a caregiver who only provided critical feedback. Right. And so naturally that voice, we absorb through osmosis and it becomes our own internal self-talk. Right. But I do also want to say for listeners who maybe that didn't happen to them, it's actually completely not necessary at all for you to have had any particular life experiences in order to have an inner critic. This Mm. is what I like to call it. I like to call it the inner critic, because at the end of the day, human beings are hardwired for having inner critics. Right? Because inner critic is an expression of our safety instinct as human beings, the part of us that wants to stay safe from potential emotional risk or danger, from hurt, from failure, from criticism, from disappointment or rejection by the tribe. Because as a species, our acceptance by our tribe quite literally meant survival. Mm-hmm. Right. So 10,000 years ago, if we were rejected or if we were exiled, it quite literally meant death. It quite literally meant I have to face the elements and the predators and all that stuff on my own. And so our brains are naturally hardwired for sniffing out any potential risks of us being rejected or criticized and mediating it or trying to prevent it from happening.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you added that in because I think a lot of people listening or a lot of my clients at least have shared, and I can resonate with this too, of like, you grew up in a house where you had loving, caring parents or caretakers and everyone was obviously not perfect, but they were really doing their best and they always wanted you to, you know, grow and learn and succeed. And so I think a lot of people hear messages sometimes of what we're talking about and they're like, Well, that didn't happen to me. And it feels like, okay, well, I'm the exception and like, why am I like this if if it's not because of something in my past? And what I'll say is that you know, this is never a blaming game of your family at all. And also to just knowing that societally at large, like there's these messages sometimes. And I know for women and specifically, it can be about looks and appearance, look this way and um, yes. wear this and do that. And so I think that's why a lot of people can have that critical eye of appearance, especially or not just physical appearance, but the appearance that they're with a good partner, And so if their partner isn't clean, for example, or if their partner did something wrong, then not only is that a reflection of like their partner, but it also by association is a reflection on them. And so I just think for anyone listening, like this does sometimes run deeper than just your family unit. It can just be the pressure, like you said,
1: Ivy, to fit in culturally. It can come from so many different places. Yeah, it can come from it being the voice we were spoken to with from our childhood, from one of our caregivers. It could be our safety instinct that we're just all hardwired to have. It could be from media, you know, that body perfectionism. It could be from our culture, right? And ultimately it doesn't matter as much where it comes from. I think ultimately it matters what we do with it. Yeah,
0: that's a theme that came up in like a recent podcast interview of like, do we have to know or can we just actually move forward? And I think that's one of the reasons I love doing coaching and maybe you can relate as a coach as well, I really like not trying to dig everything up, but I like just being like, all right, this is what we're working with. How do we move forward with that? And so thanks for adding that piece in that we don't always have to know. We can just decide what we want to do next, which is what I want to talk about here shortly. And I think will be really helpful for people to understand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is helpful sometimes to know where things come from. And that's the thing I love about coaching. And it's not like we can't talk about the past. We can, of course. and sometimes it's helpful. And we don't always need to understand every single facet of where something comes from in order to work with it and move forward. Yeah, exactly. If it's helpful to look back,
0: great. But if it's causing you to feel like you're missing something or doing something wrong and driving you crazy, then there's you don't want to keep doing that to yourself. <laughs> exactly. So as far as what to actually do about this, so you shared that you know the imperfections we can't tolerate in ourselves are then going to be projected externally onto our relationship so what is the antidote to not tolerating imperfections or put another way like how can we learn to tolerate more imperfection within ourself and then also
1: in other people i have twenty thousand things <laughs> <laughs> there's really so many ways we can work with this which i think is a beautiful thing there's not this one right answer that we have to get right in order to start healing this part of ourselves There's so many things we get to try out. The main thing that I would offer to people listening to this is it's less about what they said or did that triggered you, triggered that irritation, triggered that upset. And it's more about the part of you who came up in response to it. It's more about the pain that suddenly became alive inside of you in response to it. That's the thing that actually needs to be tended to. That's the thing that we get to get curious around. Not so much what did they do or say that made this come up.
0: Hmm, could you give an example about that? So like, let's say that the example I gave earlier, like, a few years ago, when Nate left his towel around, it would like really irk me. And I would feel very bothered by that. So what would you, I mean, I kind of know what you're getting at. But for someone listening, if they're like, I don't understand, what would you ask me to get clear on like, what is coming up for me in that moment?
1: So the exact process I would tell my client to go through is to start separating what they observed versus what they made it mean, Mm -hmm. right? So this is really the topic of observation versus interpretation, right? So observation is what are the facts about what happened? What could I observe with one of my five senses that I could say happened that Sally down the street could also observe with one of her five senses that she could agree is what happened? Right. And so this would look like a towel was left on the floor by Nate or a towel was left on the door by Nate. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the fact. And the observation is usually like one thing. (laughs) It's usually like maybe two things at the most. It's very short. Right. And then I would help them get clear on what are all of the things that you're making this mean about you, about him, about the relationship, about what's possible moving forward in the future. And also what was the ill intent? that your mind so effortlessly assumed right on Nate's behalf is it that he doesn't care is it that you're not important that your needs don't matter to him is it that you can't you know express yourself and be heard that you're unheard you're unseen right Mm -hmm. what is the thing that you're making all of this mean how unfair it is all of that is interpretation And that's Mm -hmm. not to say that your interpretation is like, oh, that's just silly interpretation. And so now my experience is invalid. That's not what we're saying at all. You get to still have a conversation with Nate where you express your needs or maybe set a boundary or just communicate about it, you know, and at the same time, you get to take responsibility over owning the things you made it mean as not necessarily facts versus what actually happened that is a fact.
0: Mm, Yes, I love that. Thank you for going into that detail. And some examples of in the past, what I've made that mean is Nate is inconsiderate. I'm always going to be cleaning up. I always do more of the work around the house. Like it's a lot of that stuff. And so I really appreciate that reminder that first of all, those interpretations are still very valid, but getting clarity on what is more of a fact versus what is an interpretation can help you then decide is the way I'm interpreting this maybe fair in this moment to this person? Or maybe do I want to take a beat um, and regroup before trying to communicate this or trying to fix or do something about it? 100%. Yeah. One element that I know you talk a lot about is self-compassion, which is another way to kind of respond to our own inner judgments and imperfections. And then I know for me, at least the compassion I give myself is also the compassion that I'm able to give other people. So do you have specific examples in your life of how you show up and give yourself compassion?
1: I have a ton Um, in specifically this context around getting annoyed with our partners over small mistakes. I have a specific way that I practice this. And that is relating to my inner critic as a part of myself rather than who I am as an entire person, Mm -hmm. right? That inner critic that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Yeah. The part of us who's like kind of a bitch who's really shitty to us that we totally hate, that we want to go away. Um, That's the part that I start with usually is what are you trying to protect me from? Mm -hmm. What are you scared of? right? Because a lot of times when we separate our observations from our interpretations, you'll see that when you read through your interpretation after you write it out, it's reflecting some sort of fear. Mm -hmm. The fear of not being heard, the fear of being alone, the fear of being rejected or failing, the fear of being insignificant or unimportant, right? And so that's the thing that usually our inner critic is trying to protect us from. And so offering empathy, offering understanding to our inner critic, Thank you for trying to protect me from this. I see now that you're just trying to protect me from feeling horrible or feeling unimportant or whatever it is. I can see where you came from that has you so concerned about that and how hard of a time you've been through. Maybe that could be helpful depending on the situation and just offering a lot of empathy and compassion. Thank you so much for trying to take care of me in this moment. And I have other things, by the way, that I could go into. But in terms of like that feeling annoyed, when that inner critic is showing up, that's something that I usually do that helps.
0: Yeah, I love that. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion. And I love one specific she has like those three pillars of self-compassion. And one of them is just remembering the common humanity of things. Like I'm not the only person that ever nitpicks somebody. And, you know, just remembering like you're not alone in that experience. Cause in the moment you can just feel like, oh my gosh. Everyone else is so nice to their partner 24-7 and I'm just horrible. I'm the worst. And it can kind of get a little bit blown out of proportion. Not again to like invalidate that pain you're experiencing, but sometimes it just helps to remember this is something that happens and I don't love it necessarily, but I'm going to think it for showing up in this moment. And yes, I can take steps to work on this thing, but I'm not the only person that's ever done this. And I'm not crazy or alone for acting in this way. And if nothing else, just listening to this podcast, like I will raise my hand and say, yes, this is something that happens. And you already said, like, this is something that has happened in your own life. And as relationship coaches, you would think we know all of the things to do, but that doesn't change that we're still human.
1: (laughs) That's exactly right. You know, there's the initial pain of feeling the irritation of feeling like I'm really annoyed at this person and I don't want to be. That is a form of suffering, maybe on a micro level, but it is. And then there's the second layer of pain that we put onto ourselves, which is I shouldn't be feeling this way. Mm -hmm. I'm the only girlfriend or I'm the only romantic partner who is this way, which then brings a level of shame, which brings a level of wrongness to ourselves, which brings a level of judgment. And then that's just like this extra crappy layer of suffering and pain put on top of the original one.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I totally get that. And another example of that is like getting anxiety about having anxiety or judging yourself for being judgmental. It's like, that's a perfect reminder that you just gave where it's like, it's already hard enough to have the first feeling. And so then the second one just kind of fuels the cycle even more so Whenever possible, if you can bring compassion to the critical part, the judgmental part, then that can at least interrupt the extra shame and judgment being placed on top.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yes, exactly. So I guess a few questions here to kind of wrap up. One of them would be... You said earlier when you were introducing yourself, how creating a stronger relationship with yourself has really been a pivotal piece of creating stronger interpersonal relationships. So obviously you have a lot of practices and tools, but maybe just one or two that come to mind aside from self-compassion, how can we begin building a stronger relationship with ourselves so that we can positively influence our other relationships?
1: learn how to feel your emotions. Mm. (laughs) The end, (laughs) just kidding, but you know, really learn how to feel your emotions. And I feel like in the wellness space or on TikTok or on Instagram, you'll hear people say, feel your feelings. And that's great, but sometimes people don't know how to actually feel their feelings. If you want to nerd out with me about Kristen Neff for a second, and for those of you who are listening, again, Kristen Neff is a self-compassion expert. Um, She writes a lot about it. So check her out as a resource. She claims that there are actually five steps to meeting difficult emotions. One is just being able to identify that you're resisting it. So the fact that you're resisting your emotions is okay. You're actually in the first step of meeting a difficult emotion. Right. And she walks you through step by step these steps of meeting difficult emotions, you know, that include curiosity, just being able to start getting curious around the emotions that you're experiencing rather than resisting them, distracting yourself from them, you know, staying overly busy or, you know, turning on Netflix or scrolling on Instagram, like actually sitting with it and seeing can I name this emotion for my clients, I give them resources that help them name the actual emotion that they're feeling, you know, you'll hear people say sometimes like if you can name it, you can tame it. And so just being able to start flexing that muscle of naming our emotions, naming the unmet needs that are behind them, right? That's a really great step in that direction. Mm -hmm. And then learning eventually how to actually feel them physically in your body. Because for those of you who are listening and who might not know, every time we experience any emotion, There is a physiological response that is happening in our bodies in response to that emotion. So if you've ever felt really nervous to go speak publicly, you'll notice that your throat might feel closed or there's um, tension in your chest or a a pit in your stomach, Mm -hmm. right? And so learning how to sit with the physical sensations and the physical manifestations of your feelings when they do come up, learning how to allow them to be there. Because feelings are so interesting when we finally just allow them to be there and not need to fix them and not need to make them go away. All of a sudden, they start loosening and releasing on their own without us having to do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is a skill. And learning this skill of feeling your feelings will make you as a person feel really safe from the inside out. You start to feel a little bit more at home within yourself. And then once you get really good at it, there isn't any feeling that you're unwilling to feel.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that because the other day, it, I had a trigger come up and I actually like sat down to feel and process the feelings. I ended up crying, which I don't always allow myself to actually do. And crying isn't the only way to feel your feelings. By the way, I'll give that disclaimer, but it felt really good to actually move through it, cry and like breathe through it. And then it passed. And I felt so much more open-hearted later in that day to be able to show up in the way that I wanted to. And I think that I've had clients before say things like, I just don't want to cry. But then when I let myself cry, I feel so much better. And again, crying isn't the only feeling you can feel and the only way to release a feeling. But I just think it's it's so important to not further stuff them down because there's already so much of them stuffed down for when we've just kind of you know kept it going like i don't have time for this right now i need to keep moving and of course we have reasons for that it's not always safe to just sit and feel our feelings all day but i really love this permission slip from people that this is a skill to practice and that they don't have to be perfect at this, but it's something that can be a big gift to the relationship with yourself.
1: Absolutely. You know, when you're willing to feel your emotions, it just sends the message to your subconscious that there's no part of myself that I'm going to reject. There's no part of myself that I'm going to deny or push away or that's not okay. It's all okay. And when Mm -hmm. we can really start receiving that message from ourselves, our relationship with ourselves can't help but flourish.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And when we can really tune into what we're feeling, I think it can help others around us understand as well versus when we're kind of stuck in a feeling, then we don't show up intentionally towards other people. So I think that's a perfect way to take care of ourselves. And then as a great side effect, it can also impact our relationships as well.
1: And one thing I will add, Sarah, is when we can be patient and loving with ourselves, with our own irritability, and we can offer those parts of ourselves understanding or acceptance, it's going to be a lot easier when our partners come to us with their, you know, things that normally would irritate us, that we can now sit with that irritation it evokes within us. Now, all of a sudden, we're more patient with them, Mm, Yeah. right? Or if we're somebody who... When our partner comes to us with their big, messy emotions and we're like, ooh, I don't like that, right? If we can learn how to be with our own big, messy emotions, all of a sudden it's going to be a lot easier to be with their big, messy emotions.
0: Yeah. Thank you for adding that in. And I think the reverse of that is when you are really irritated, like we've talked about this whole episode. Just remembering that, like, sometimes that is again not intentionally, of course, but really because there's like something internally that you're not wanting to face. And so that gives you a really good cue to potentially do that exercise you just beautifully shared of like sitting with the uncomfortable feeling that wants to come up in that moment. And so everything we talked about, I feel like can really come full circle because when you start noticing the things that are causing you irritation, that's a really big invitation to feel the feelings in that moment.
1: A hundred percent. If I can sit there and feel the irritation that something my partner did or said evoked within me, and I can offer that part of me compassion and it can just kind of cool off and just like relax within my loving awareness, all of a sudden it matters less what they said or did.
0: Mm. So beautifully said. I feel like that really takes us full circle with this conversation. So just a couple final questions to leave listeners with. So because this is the you love and you learn podcast. Can you leave listeners with one thing you've learned about love? Just in my life? Just in general. Yeah. It doesn't have to be from personal experience. It can just be like over the course of your life, what you've learned about love.
1: Oh God, what a beautiful question. I think that love is a choice. I think that's what I've learned about love, that love is a choice. And even if it's in a romantic relationship or whatever kind of relationship, you get to choose how you show up with love over and over and over again. It's kind of almost a daily choice. And you have so much agency over how your love gets to look.
0: Mm, Yeah, I share that sentiment. So thank you for adding that in. And last but not least, I'm sure people have loved learning more from you. So where can they stay connected with you if they want to get in touch with you and hear more about your work?
1: Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Ivy Ann Miller, common spelling. Ann has an E. It's (laughs) A-N-N-E. So Ivy Ann Miller. Um, My TikTok (laughs) handle is the same. Um, And you can always find me on my website, which is
0: ivymiller.coach. Perfect. We will link those in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for joining us. I really loved this episode and I even had some great insights and aha moments, which is why I love doing these interviews and getting to connect with others. So thank you and see you all in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the You Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, The more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.